It's good to be with you this morning. I have a neighbor across the street that lives across the street from me who is from Owensboro and graduated from Owensboro High School and was thrilled that they were in the state high school baseball championship, but I'm sure a little disappointed that they lost last night, but amazing that they made it that far given the rest of their season, I guess. Uh, this morning, I, we're going to be looking uh, in the book of Proverbs. If you have your Bibles, you can turn, go ahead and turn there to Proverbs chapter 3. When I was with you, I think it was last summer, I preached from Proverbs chapter 1 and 2. Uh, I spoke of how the wisest thing one can do is to know the Lord, not just to know Him in some type of intellectual sense, but to know Him relationally, intimately, personally, to know Him as King. I also uh, reminded and spoke of um, the idea that, that this relationship should define all your other relationships, that knowing the Lord, seeking Him, and seeking His wisdom ought to characterize your entire life. This morning, we are going to look at the perspective of the wise uh, from Proverbs chapter 3, the, the perspective that the wise take on life. And if you'll be with us this afternoon, I, we'll look at Proverbs 4 and we'll talk about the path of the wise. This morning, we will look at the perspective of the wise here from Proverbs uh, chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 uh, through 12. This is God's word. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Let's pray. Father, we know, as your word teaches, that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but your word, O God, stands forever. Lord, we pray that you would write this word on our hearts. We pray that you would apply it to our lives. We pray that you, by your Spirit, would come and speak to us right where we are, wherever it may be. Lord, we know that many of us have come this morning with a lot on our hearts and our minds. Lord, we pray, we pray that this morning that you would guide us to yourself with all that we bring. Lord, we know that many this morning are eager to hear from you. Lord, we ask that you would speak. Lord, and wherever we are coming from, Lord, we ask that you would give us Christ this morning, even here in the book of Proverbs. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage, this passage of Scripture is teaching that there is a particular orientation to life that the wise take. Fundamentally, the wise don't trust in themselves. I think it's easy when you hear something like that to think that they live life without confidence, and that's not what this passage is saying. It is not that they are insecure and unable to deal with life as it comes. In fact, they 
They're quite the opposite. They are both quite humble and yet quite confident because they have learned to be confident in the one who rules the world. Whether they understand all the particulars of their circumstances or not, they have learned to trust themselves to the God who does rule the world. They trust his precepts, they trust his promises, and they trust even in his discipline, which is the real proof of their wisdom. Most often, I think that we struggle in a lot of these areas. It is only when we are at our wit's ends that we look for God and his precepts and commandments. We seldom can consider his promises until things aren't going the way that we want them to. And often, we see his discipline as evidence as evidence that his favor is not with us, rather than seeing it as his faithful and loving hand helping us. The overarching theme is found in verses 5 and 6. You may be quite familiar with them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I only remind you that this is a relational knowing. They were to know him in everything they did. In fact, verse 6 can be almost literally translated, in all your ways know him. Relating everything back to him. That is part and parcel to this type of trust that the book of Proverbs is speaking of. To rest upon him. To lean your whole weight on him. That you might be strengthened by him. That you might find safety in him and rest. It is noteworthy that in the book of Proverbs, for all of its comments and all of its verses that seem to agree in many ways with what we would call common sense, with wisdom, that this book exalts trust above sagacity. Trust is the deep theme that undergirds all of its message. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the Lord, the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The horse is made ready for battle, says Proverbs 21.31, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So that all the things that we can look to to put our trust in, the methods as would be with the horse in battle. It is really the Lord who is ruling and reigning in this world. And our trust is to be in Him. The goal of Proverbs is not self-reliance, but faith in God. In Proverbs twenty-two nineteen, we are told the rationale for knowing the Lord and His precepts is so that our trust may be in the Lord. It is trust that undergirds everything. And the, the opposite of trust, we can see it in verses 5 and verse 7. Lean not on your own understanding. Or verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Trust in the Lord is clearly contrasted with trust in oneself. It is further further carried out in verse 7 when it says, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This is what it means then to trust in the Lord, to turn away from evil. Being wise in our own eyes often leads us down a crooked path. It is often that I work with college students that I see them thinking and embracing the idea that, you know, they can handle just a little bit of evil. They can allow their foot to stray just a bit. They think they're strong enough. They think they're wise enough. In fact, they'll move in directions in which they would never tell their friend and encourage their friend to go because they're often wise in their own eyes. And yet this passage says, don't dabble in it. Don't long for it. Don't be envious of it in others when you see them doing it. To do so is to live foolishly and unwisely, to lean on your own understanding, to think you can stay strong. I'm not so much concerned for most of you 
about blatant evil as much as I am concerned that, like me, you too easily think you automatically know the Lord's wisdom and have mastered it. That you don't spend time praising God and adoring Him for all He has done and seeking His wisdom constantly and consistently. It is in this way that you may struggle to lean on the Lord rather than your own understanding. So this morning, we will look at His precepts, the precepts of the wise, those who trust in the Lord, the principles they they follow. We will look at the promises that guide them. And ultimately, we will look at the proof um, of their faithfulness through discipline. The precepts of the wise, number one, they write the steadfast love and faithfulness of God on their hearts. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this. It's in the imperative. It's a command. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. But bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. One scholar has written, To write love and fidelity on the tablet of the heart is to impress deeply on the heart the value of both virtues so that one will be impelled to them from within outward. You know, the words steadfast love and faithfulness here is the Hebrew word chesed. It is often used and is almost always used in the Old Testament to describe characteristics of God. That it is God who is steadfast in His love and faithfulness to us. And this passage is saying that you need to pound into your heart to find ways to get it in there. Not just intellectually, but pound it into your heart. Write it around your neck. Bind it to yourself, that God is faithful and loving towards you. His nature is not shifting. In Christ, we have the perfect picture. God is faithful to the end. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, going all the way to the cross for His people. No matter how much His people falter and fail, He moves towards us in steadfast love. This passage is saying, that characteristic of God, His steadfast love and faithfulness, you are to pound into your heart. How are you going to do that? There are lots of ways that you can do that. Poetry, music, art, these things should lead you to reflect on them in such a way that you pound His love into you. So first, the wise write the steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord on their heart. Secondly, the wise who trust in the Lord know the Scriptures. Certainly, this is the best way to pound His steadfast love and faithfulness into you. Look at verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. You have to know the law. You have to know the commandments. These are but an expression of what it means to trust the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. If God is bothered to write them down, to give us directions on how to freely live before Him, then we need to know what He said. We need to understand His commands. Thirdly, We need to know the community of faith. In verse 1 it says this, My son, do not forget my teaching. The way that Proverbs comes to us is as a father teaching his children. Giving them wisdom, imparting to them knowledge in the family setting. And certainly this was given not just to fathers and children, but to the community of faith of the people of Israel. A particular community where wisdom was to be expressed. A community that took care of its children. With parents doing so specifically. You need others around you. Verse 7 communicates something of this idea as well. Be not wise in your own eyes. What does that mean? Therefore, you know these commandments. You also allow other people into your life 
to speak, to share, to care. Proverbs 15.22 says this, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 20.18 says, Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance waged war. Proverbs 27.9, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Proverbs 27.6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. When I was newly married, you may wonder how long I've been married. I'll be married 10 years in uh, November. Uh, When I was newly married, I was frustrated with my wife. And I voiced some of my frustration to my good friend, Jonathan. Jonathan heard me. He listened to me. And then he looked at me and straight in the eyes and said, Brad, I know you. I don't buy it. You see, Jonathan knew. I knew the precepts. I knew the teaching of the Lord. But he knew me well enough to know that I'm simple enough to twist those towards my own ends. To make things sound like I'm in the right when I wasn't. He knew I could self-justify. He spoke words to me that were, in many ways, cutting. But he cut in order to heal. To help me see my own unfaithfulness to the Lord and His precepts and commands and way of life. Are you living in such a way with people that they could speak to you words that you may not want to hear, but that you might find is true. To bring the truth to the reality of where you were, of where you are. You may know His commands, but it may be that you don't know them in the way that you should and that you are using them for your own ends. It may be that you need others to speak to you. Are you listening to the community of faith around you? This is the perspective that the wise have. They know they are prone to be wise in their own eyes. So the wise, they find ways to write the steadfast love of the Lord on their heart. The wise know the scriptures. The wise know the community of faith. And fourthly, under this heading of the precepts of the wise, the wise trust in the Lord is inextricably entwined, intertwined with obedience. When I first looked and studied this passage, I struggled to figure out why verse 9 appeared right where it does. It says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. As I meditated on this and studied it more, I realized I'm a little bit slow of mind. Certainly the theme is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Honor the Lord with your wealth is but a concrete way to show that your trust is in the Lord. It is faith that shows itself in obedience to give of your first fruits of all your produce. You give of your first fruits believing that more will come. Trusting that as the Lord calls forth those, that He will provide more blessing. I tell college students all the time that they need to give, even while they're in college, of of what comes to them. To honor the Lord with their first fruits. It reveals what they actually believe and where their trust is. Whether they will give or not. In the New Testament, followers are told to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. If they are truly turning to the Lord and trusting in Him rather than themselves, the completion of their trust is actually in following Him, repenting of their own way. This, in verses 9 and 10, is a very specific example. 
But there could be many. Maybe, it's not, maybe money is not what you struggle to withhold from the Lord. Maybe it's your, your time. Maybe it's any myriad of other things. But know this, God is not mocked. He is not mocked. He knows your heart. He knows all about our cheap talk of loving Him. Our talk of following Him when we actually aren't practicing His ways. So these are the precepts and principles that the wise live by. I want to now look at the promises that we see in this passage. If you were here last time when I spoke on, this, on uh, Proverbs chapter 1, you know that I told you that seeking the Lord is a way in which you will find true life and prevent a deathly kind of living. Here we have promises connected to the precepts that we just considered. Sort of the natural realities of the way that God has made the world so that in keeping with His design there is good reward. But I want you to listen well to these promises. I'm going to um, work through them here quickly and then make uh, a brief comment about them. In verse 1, he, he writes, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Why? For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. The promise of letting steadfast love and faithfulness not forsake you is in verse 4 that you will find good favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And I love the promise of verse 6. After saying, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. He will make your path straight. He will make straight your paths. Some translations. Straight paths. can be translated as plain paths, not crooked, without obstacles, without hindrance. Don't you want a straight path in all that you do? It is the promise of the Lord here in this passage. In verse 8, we are not wise in our own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. We are told it will bring healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. I love the poetry here. At 34, I'm just beginning to realize what that means. That your bones and joints don't feel like they used to, don't recover quite like they used to. I'm sure many of you could tell me much more and have experienced much more. But isn't this good news? Healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Don't you want that? In verse 10, not much comment is necessary. Following the idea that we are on the Lord with our wealth, it says this, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats, vats bursting with wine. Slow in coming, maybe, but in time... It comes. What does this mean? I'm so often quick to point out to students and others that that this is not some kind of health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That God is some kind of good luck charm. You just do certain things and bam, you're blessed in every single way that you want to be blessed. But in my quickness to those realities, which I do think are true, and the Bible speaks of, I often overlook the promises he does give. The promises of true spiritual blessing. And the thing I want to point out this morning, as you look at these promises, is this. As I looked over this passage, what struck me was that God wants to give me these things. It's so easy for me to fall into the notion that that God is just this God up there that is big and mighty and strong and powerful. And that I just have to appease Him to get things from Him, rather than thinking, He is a good and loving God who wants to give me good gifts. 
He wants to give you these blessings. He wants good things for you. And so He shows you the way towards them. Do you really believe that? When you think of God, do you think, here is someone who just wants to give me His best in everything I have all the time. When I talk with college students, I often remind them that they are of the haves of the world if they have Christ, not the have-nots. Do you live like a person who is one of the haves, who has been blessed richly because of Christ? He's giving you His best. Do you actually believe it's true? The wise will cling to these promises. The proof of the wise... I think we find in verses 11 and 12. The wise, my son, he writes, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of His reproof. Why? Why? For, you could have the word because there, the Lord reproves him whom He loves, a father the son in whom He delights. The discipline is founded in His delight of His children. We normally don't often initially think of discipline as being delightful or as being stemming from the delight of a father or mother in their children. But this is what the Lord says. Why are the wise? Why do they not mind? Why are they not to despise the Lord's discipline? Because they know it reveals that God loves Him. One of the things a mentor of mine once taught me Uh, he prayed for his children and encouraged us to do was that they might get caught when they sinned and when they were in error. And I thought, at first, as a person without children, I first heard them like, that's kind of me. Then I realized, as I was studying and preparing for a lesson on Psalm 139, that not only should I pray that for my children, I should pray that for myself. It's a hard prayer to pray. Pray, isn't it? Psalm 139 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. If I'm not willing to pray that when I sin, I would get caught, that I might feel the Lord's discipline, then what I reveal is, it's not really God and His ways that I love. It's really just me. It's really, I just don't like the consequences of sin. It's not that I don't like sin itself. Can you pray like that? Can you despise not the Lord's discipline? You know what this means? It means the wise are not people who complain. They don't complain. Why? Because they know that God providentially governs all circumstances. They just trust Him. They know that if they are being disciplined, it is for their own good. And the good of God's kingdom and His glory. This means there's really no room to complain about our circumstances, about issues in our life that are beyond our control that make us angry. Why? Because we need to see them as coming from the good and faithful hand of a loving God who delights in His children. Do you complain a lot? Maybe it is because you lean on your own understanding of the way that things ought to be rather than leaving your circumstances in the hand of this good and loving God the Bible speaks of. Several, a couple months ago, 
I had the privilege of reading scripture and sharing a, a, a devotion with uh, my wife Rachel's grandmother. It's been the highlight of my, he- of my year so far. Rachel's sister asked uh, her grandmother if she would like for me to read uh, her scripture for the day and read her devotion, and she said, Why, yes, certainly. I was thrilled to have the chance. See, her grandmother was sick and ill, and we knew she was in her last days, but God gave her the privilege of having her mind to the very end. I read the scripture slowly, not wanting her to miss any words. I read the devotion, then began to provide some of my own commentary and thoughts about the passage and discussed it with her. She listened so attentively as I read and discussed uh, vivaciously the meaning of the passage and its application, even in her own life. She was beaming. A few days earlier, Rachel's grandmother had shared with her family uh, that she was dying that she was soon going to be leaving this earth. It was only two weeks later that she did go on and pass away. But as she shared with her family what had gone on in her life and her thankfulness to the Lord for the life He had given her, Rachel's father began to comment. He thanked her, and what he thanked her for was the fact that she had lived with his own mother who was suffering greatly from Alzheimer's, who was very obstinate and mean. She was not like that before the Alzheimer's, but very difficult to live with. And yet, Rachel's grandmother, her two grandmothers, actually lived together for the span of eight years um, in her parents' basement. It's quite a setup. With one having Alzheimer's and the other losing her body but having her mind. And Rachel's father began to thank um, this particular grandmother for living with his mother, even though she was treated so poorly so often. And as he thanked her, she responded, Oh, no, 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 no. Don't thank me. These have been very good years for me. She said, You see, I had a lot of rough edges in me that needed to be shaped, that needed to be formed, that needed to be smooth, that the Lord needed to knock off. I have learned much better in these last few years what the unconditional love of God actually means. If I would have understood this, my marriage would have been far better. She referred to these last few years as a honey patch. Rachel and I laughed at the appropriateness of the term, a honey patch. A little sticky at times, but always sweet. We marveled at how this woman spoke of becoming more and more like Christ in her 85th, 86th, 87th, and 88th years of life. And that she knew him better through, we could say, the Lord's discipline of an unlovely woman. This is not the way she would have chosen to live the last few years of her life. And yet, her trust in the Lord was revealed in that she accepted it as coming from His good hand and learned to love better in spite of her circumstance. When she was asked if she was afraid to die, she said, oh no, I haven't even thought about that. Fear of dying. She was just ready. Still trusting the Lord in His timing, leaning not in her own understanding. Quite an example for us all of what God is saying to us in this passage this morning. May the Lord give us the wisdom to trust Him with our whole hearts, to lean not on our own understanding. Let me pray for us. Father.
We come with humble hearts knowing that in many ways our trust is not like this, not quite what it ought to be. Lord, we ask that you would reveal yourselves to us more fully that we might trust you. Even in this meal that we are about to take, continue to speak and be with us in our worship. We ask in Christ's name.